0: Hey, everybody, this is Randy Shandabel, and you're listening to This Golden State. He's only 36 years old, and he's only been a member of Congress for just over four years. But already, Eric Swalwell has become a force to reckon with, in large part because of his role in the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into Russia's influence in last year's election and into possible ties between Russia and the Trump campaign. And we've seen a lot of what I would describe as cover-up behavior. Swalwell represents California's 15th congressional district, which includes Hayward, Dublin, Castro Valley, Livermore, and parts of Fremont. He first made headlines in 2012 when he defeated Pete Stark, a fiery liberal who had served in Congress For 40 years. Uh, We
1: have to stay focused. Uh, We have
0: to stay on track. Swalwell is not fiery. In fact, his words and his tone of voice seem so measured at times that if you're not paying close attention to what he's saying, you might miss the severity of his accusations, might miss how candid he can be about his own future. Yes, he says the Trump investigation has been good for his career. And yes, he is open to running for higher office. Yeah, I mean, I can't
1: can't deny that, but I can't think about that either.
0: We talked with Swalwell over the weekend at an East Bay Union Hall, where he was leading a phone bank to help a Democratic congressional candidate in Georgia. Congressman Eric Swalwell, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Good to be with you. So before we talk about anything else, we have to talk about what's been in the news the past few days and how it might affect the House Intelligence Committee's investigation into Russia and possible connections to Donald Trump. Up until recently, the president has repeatedly heaped praise on Vladimir Putin, talked about improving relations with Russia. But a few days ago, the president did a U-turn and went from cozy to confrontational. Now, he says relations with Russia may be at an all-time low, and the Trump administration has even accused Moscow of trying to cover up for Syria's use of chemical weapons. So I guess my question is, does any of that change the Intelligence Committee's investigation?
1: It doesn't. Uh, We have to stay focused. Uh, We have to stay on track. And, you know, we're charged with getting to the bottom of uh, what happened in the last election. You know, we were attacked. Uh, It was an electronic attack uh, and meddling by Russia. We want to find out whether any U.S. persons uh, were involved. And then, I think most importantly, make reforms so that this never happens uh, again. And so, you know, the president also has a job to do. You know, he's got foreign policy to conduct. I hope uh, that he conducts it uh, in the best interests of the United States, not uh, in the best interests of, you know, Donald Trump or uh, to, you know, have a counter narrative to uh, where he thinks the news cycle is going. But uh, as far as we're concerned, we're interviewing witnesses. Uh, when we get back to Washington and
0: we're just going to plow forward. So can you understand though why at least some Trump supporters and perhaps even some critics might say that the president's new harsh tone is evidence that there really never was any collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. He wouldn't be trash talking someone he was friendly with.
1: I can only look to you know the facts that exist and what we uh, see are uh, extensive Personal, political, and financial ties uh, that Donald Trump and people in his orbit had uh, with Russia, and so what we want to know is, did those ties converge with Russia's interference uh, campaign? And you know what, what somebody does or the way that they behave after an investigation uh, is launched can also tell you a lot of times if you're investigating uh, the right person. I saw this uh, when I was a prosecutor uh, in Alameda County. And we've seen a lot of what I would describe as cover-up behavior or deceitful consciousness of guilt behavior, whether that's Attorney General Jeff Sessions. When he was a nominee, Jeff Sessions, before the Senate confirmation panel, he was asked if he'd ever uh, talked to or worked with the Russian uh, ambassador and he's, or, or any contacts with Russia. And he said no. And he was asked that twice. You had uh, General Flynn, who also uh, lied to the vice president uh, and denied ever talking to the Russian ambassador about wanting to lift or reduce sanctions uh, against Russia. You have Jared Kushner, uh, the president's uh, son-in-law, who has a prominent role in the White House, who did not disclose that he had met during the transition uh, with a sanctioned uh, Russian bank. And then you have the president himself, who made that deceitful claim that President Obama uh, wiretapped him uh, just to kind of throw in uh, what I thought was a smoke bomb uh, into the investigation. So all of that behavior Uh, If only one of them had occurred, maybe you could say, you know, there's an innocent explanation as to why, you know, General Flynn would forget or Jeff Sessions would forget. Uh, But when you start to put all of that together, uh, that's a pattern, I think, of uh, deceit. And now as to the president's foreign policy and and the way he's conducting it, again, we have foreign policy challenges will go on uh, regardless of, you know, what happened in the past with Russia. So I don't really look or or give much credence to that to, to tell us what happened in the past.
0: So this is getting into some pretty thick spy versus spy stuff, but I've even heard some Hillary Clinton supporters suggest that the new antagonistic words between Trump and Putin could be some kind of ruse, Trump just pretending not to get along with Putin to kind of encourage Democrats to drop their investigation.
1: What's always bothered me is that despite being confronted with overwhelming evidence, the president can't say a single bad thing about Vladimir Putin. I mean, we've, we've heard that he's had tough words uh, for our uh, allies in Mexico when he uh, threatened, you know, to send U.S. forces uh, into Mexico on an early phone call uh, with the president of Mexico. We've heard uh, that uh, he hung up on uh, the president of Australia, you know, a, a really strong ally of ours, but when confronted so many times about Vladimir Putin, can't say a single bad thing. And, and he even, uh, despite uh, Russia's role in Syria and the evidence that they may have uh, covered up uh, Syria's attack and use of chemical weapons last week. Uh, just a couple of days ago, the president tweeted, everything's going to be okay with Russia. Uh, you know, this too uh, will pass. And so it just seems uh, very unusual uh, that he can't really bring himself to criticize Russia in any real way.
0: Democrats are obviously suspicious of Trump's alleged connections to Russia. Republicans are suspicious of Democrats, including your political motives for the investigation. And uh, Trump says it's all just Democratic Party sour grapes. Is it possible that this whole back and forth just increases cynicism in an already cynical electorate that people will just tune out even more than they already have?
1: Russia is winning right now. Republicans and Democrats are both, I think, losing when uh, an attack like this uh, happens. And then we continue to be Uh, Divided, And so I I actually look at this through my experience when I was on Capitol Hill as a 20-year-old intern for Congresswoman Tauscher. You know, I was there uh, that morning when September 11th uh, occurred. I remember being sent home uh, and told, uh, you know, the Capitol's being evacuated and then watching at home as Republicans and Democrats stood on the Capitol steps arm in arm and singing uh, God Bless America. And the country saw us respond to that attack in a bipartisan way. They saw over the next few years, we put reforms in place to make sure that we were never again so vulnerable uh, in the skies, and we're safer today because of that. And I'm hoping that we can put aside who benefited and who lost because of this attack and realize that whether it's Russia that's going to come back at us again or other foreign adversaries uh, that have similar capabilities, that if we do nothing and remain divided, we will be even more vulnerable uh, and exposed to an attack But if we unite and say, never again will we tolerate outside meddling, uh, that we can actually go into the next election season uh, with a stronger uh, democracy. I hope it's the latter.
0: So where does the investigation all end? First of all, how long do you expect it to take? And in the end, do you think the public will really learn anything or will it still be Democrats suspicious of Trump and Republicans defending him?
1: It's going to take years uh, because, you know, what we saw was a foreign adversary with uh, that involved, you know, transactions uh, that took place not just over uh, in Russia, but uh, all over Eastern Europe and, and possibly other parts of the world. And then, of course, you have a lot of uh, electronic evidence that you're going to have to chase down, and then uh, foreign witnesses. So this is a, a very complicated uh, case to understand. So it's going to take years, you say? I think it will. I think it will t- take years.
0: So if it takes years, and indeed the committees do come to the conclusion that there was some kind of collusion. In the meantime, the administration could be compromised for years. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think we want to
1: make sure we get it right. If there was you know, no collusion and these are just mere coincidences, I think the president uh, deserves to be able to say that uh, the case is closed on this and he's cleared. That That's important for his legitimacy. If there was collusion, I think the American people want to make sure that You know, we have the evidence uh, behind it to prove it and that anyone involved is held accountable. But this is certainly nothing I think we want to just rush uh, to judgment on. Now, my biggest fear, uh, honestly, as a a former prosecutor, is that we may know what happened, but we may not be able to prove uh, what happened in a court of law. And and what I mean is that you may end up knowing what happened because of the evidence uh, that is discovered, but because of rules of evidence in U.S. courts, you may not be able to prove it. Now, let me just give you an example. Say perhaps you have, you know, uh, foreigner A talking to foreigner B about U.S. person C being involved. It's very hard to compel and bring foreigners into U.S. courts. So if all the evidence is just foreigners who cannot be subpoenaed and brought into U.S. courts, a prosecutor can't go forward with charges knowing that they can't get that person uh, to court. So we may end up having an idea of what happened, but you may not be able to hold uh, U.S. persons uh, criminally accountable. So that, I think, would be frustrating uh, for the country if if that's what occurs.
0: You brought up that you worked as a, a former prosecutor for the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, and you prosecuted thousands of cases at domestic violence, uh, elder abuse, even some murder cases. And generally, prosecutors are pretty closed-mouthed about pending investigations unless they feel pretty certain they have enough evidence for a conviction. But you and fellow members of your committee have been anything but closed-mouthed. You've been very public with your suspicions. So, you know, we're not, I'm not a prosecutor
1: anymore. I I miss the courtroom a lot. There's this challenge right now where we want to, you know, have a close hold on what we're doing and what we're investigating, but we see continued undermining uh, by the president, uh, and, and it's really his public words of trying to discredit the intelligence community, uh, trying to say that you know Russia did not even meddle in our elections, trying to say that any evidence that comes forward about you know people on his team uh, that are connected to Russia is just politicized. And so, you know, as he runs his own disinformation campaign, I think we feel a responsibility to the country to make sure that. People understand, no, this is, we were attacked. There are questions as to whether U.S. persons were involved. And we have to have an independent, credible investigation into that. And so you're right. My, my nature and most of our nature, I think, would be to, you know, want to do this in as much secret as we can. But I think we're afraid that in this new news culture we have, that the president, if he's the only one out there controlling the narrative, saying this is all politicized, it never happened, then, you know, that may be the reality in many people's minds. So I think we feel a responsibility to push back a little bit and say, no, no, no. You know, there is real evidence. We have to let the FBI do their work. We have to do our work. And we think there should also be an independent commission.
0: Is there a different standard of, of evidence between what you would uh, need to get a conviction as a prosecutor and what you're dealing with now?
1: Yeah. So a prosecutor to get a criminal conviction would have to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. That, that's the highest uh, of standards in law. Now, uh, for us, you know we're not at the end of the day, our investigation will just make conclusions about what happened or what did not happen. And so we're not operating with any legal standard. Uh, it's more a, a report to the country. Now, we may issue subpoenas to individuals to come in, and you know if those subpoenas are not honored, then a judge would have to review whether those witnesses are relevant or not. But yeah, as I said, our job is really to put out uh, a report that I, I hope you know sustains uh, the test of time, in uh, fact. Uh, But the job of the prosecutor uh, and, you know, the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, they have a much higher standard to meet. And I think that's why uh, they are keeping uh, as much as they can
0: uh, in a close hold. Well, they may have a higher standard to meet, but in some sense, it would seem you have an impossible standard to meet. Because no matter what you guys conclude, there's going to be a partisan environment that's going to spin the conclusions in different directions. It's not like a jury or a judge.
1: That's right. But And I look back at prior challenges our country has faced and uh, the investigations that went into those. And so, you know, in 1963, a president uh, was assassinated. And, you know, the Warren Commission took years to look at all the theories of what happened, uh, to interview all of the witnesses who were alive, and they concluded you know, that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was, a you know, acted alone and, and killed the president. And I think the majority of Americans today and at that time accept that that was the case. And there's there's always going to be, you know, alternative theories out there. But I think, you know, my kids, when they go to history class in high school, you know, that will be the prevailing understanding of what happened. I look at September 11, and, you know, they took years to conclude that, you know, 19 hijackers with the support of uh, Osama bin Laden and financing in uh, that region were able to carry out, you know, the worst terrorist attack in our history. And I think that's pretty settled in our country. There's some alternative theories, but, you know, it's pretty settled. So my hope is that uh, when this is said and done 15, 20 years from now, people will look back and say this is what happened. These are the individuals who were responsible. And then this is what our
0: nation's leaders did to make sure it would never happen again. So far, all the evidence of possible collusion is circumstantial, right? So
1: far. Yeah, it's it's circumstantial. But remember, and I'll use just criminal cases as an example, circumstantial evidence in the law, and I would say also in just kind of the way that we as people look at things, uh, it's treated the same as direct evidence. Uh, DNA evidence, for example, is circumstantial evidence. And so Uh, Circumstantial evidence can be just as powerful as direct evidence. You know, I I don't know if we'll ever find a video recording of collusion uh, or, you know, a signed document uh, with fingerprints on it and DNA on it of a U.S. person saying, I'm going to go to work for Russia. So that's why I think this case is even more uh, complicated. And I want people at the end of the investigation to have all the faith in the world that whether it's circumstantial or direct evidence that's put forward to them, that that evidence has been tested and is credible.
0: Maybe I'm ahead of myself, but judging by your words, I've watched you on Mm -hmm. cable news Mm -hmm. networks, I've looked at your website, you have that connect the dots thing Mm -hmm. there. It seems like you believe there is at least some evidence of collusion, that, that your gut tells you there was collusion. Am I jumping ahead of myself here? My gut tells me we have
1: to get to the bottom of this. If we don't have the American people believe that we need to get to the bottom of this, that we will go into the next election and it may not just be Russia, it may be other countries and in the next election even more so. This is a threat to democracy as we know it. And so we have to you know, really firmly put this marker down now and say there is evidence, we cannot let this window close without doing something. And so that's why there is this tension between wanting to have a close guarded investigation where you're tight-lipped, but also wanting to make sure that, that the president and his disinformation doesn't just muddy up everything, and then we never uh, get to the bottom of it.
0: The president's disinformation—he does that sometimes for reason, sometimes mm-hmm. for no reason at all. Yeah. I mean, he thought that President Obama wasn't born in the United States. What was the reason for that? He accused Ted Cruz's father of—you brought up the Kennedy assassination—of having something to do with Lee Harvey Oswald. So his ridiculous claims don't necessarily, all the time, point to collusion or something nefarious other than just wackiness.
1: And my fear, though, is that, you know, we can't underestimate the power of the words of a president. Uh, You know, 63 million people did go to the polls and vote for him. And so uh, if he's even, you know, lightly successful in his ability to just muddy up things, uh, that makes it hard, I think, for us to really have a report that is accepted and reforms that can make a difference in preventing this from happening again
0: in the end though in the end your findings they don't necessarily lead to anything happening you don't call for action that would be up to congress in general or to the electorate i mean some people would say that evidence of collusion with russia amounts to treason
1: well our findings i hope address the most important finding in the intelligence community's report which was that russia intends to do this again so i hope that our findings whether it's an independent commission or the house investigation i hope our findings lead to reforms in congress I really want us to be more aware as a people in the next election that we're vulnerable to this. And I want to make sure that our voting systems are as protected as possible uh, so that uh, next time if Russia – that if Russia or other countries try and change votes, that we can defend against that. So I, I really hope that that's what it ultimately leads to. It's the question of treason. You know, treason just legally, uh, you have to be at war with that country, you know, for a, a legal charge of treason to be brought. We're not technically at war uh, with Russia. So, you know, any treason charges would not, uh, they'd be off the table.
0: Whatever people think of the investigations and the president and Russia and any possible collusion, there's there's a new concern. The president's radical foreign policy position changes. Some people might say foreign policy reversals. One day he praises Putin. The next day he says that relations with Russia are possibly at an all-time low. One day he says NATO was obsolete, then he says NATO was no longer obsolete. China has raped the economy of the United States and is a currency manipulator, then it no longer is. What does that say? And how do our allies know what to do if they can't know what the president's positions are
1: from day to day? Right. Well, it shows that we have someone in the White, White House who has no core set of principles. And that makes us, I, I would say, less safe here in the United States as far as, you know, what what are our values how do we respond to international crisis how do we defend ourselves at home now i will balance that against just like everyone in this country you know you root for the pilot when you're on a plane you don't want the plane to crash you don't want the pilot to fail so i want the president to succeed when it comes to our national security challenges because if he doesn't succeed then north korea's missile hits the bay area and and that's it so if he is changing his positions because he realizes that it's the right thing to do, then you know if that makes us safe, I'm okay with that. If he's changing his positions because uh, he's trying to distract us from you know ongoing investigations or he's just trying to change the narrative, you know I'm not uh, okay with that. With respect to the, some of the few challenges we've seen over the past few weeks, I, I don't think there's an American president uh, in our history who would, uh, allow another country to gas their own uh, people and not say that the U.S. has some role to play in making sure that doesn't happen again. I also think the American people want to know, what is the strategy with Syria? Uh, are we going to commit uh, you know, boots on the ground? Are we going to pressure Russia to pull out of Syria? Uh, are we going to go to the U.N.? You know, and then is he going to go to Congress you know, to authorize uh, the time that will be there, the number of troops that will be there, and the terrain that's covered as far as geography? And then, again, I think people want to know who who are you talking to as far as our allies that are going to be involved with this. So I think right now he's missing strategy, he's missing Congress, and he's missing allies. And so he prevented, I think, hopefully another gas attack from happening in the near future. But I don't think people understand what the strategy is. With respect to Afghanistan, I don't think many people have a problem if we're killing ISIS members who pose a threat to Americans or our allies. Uh, but again, I think the American people want to know what's the long-term strategy uh, with ISIS. How do you cut foreign aid to countries that you need help with fighting ISIS and still expect them to help you uh, fight ISIS? How do you have a, a Muslim ban in those countries and expect that people in those communities aren't going to want to take up arms against the United States? And then with North Korea is what I fear uh, the most because you know attacking Syria and attacking Afghanistan, you know those countries are not nuclear uh, capable countries. North Korea. Uh, is. And so, you know, you really better have a strategy. You really better know what you're going to go to Congress with. And you really better have friends uh, in the world uh, if you're going to start saber rattling with North Korea.
0: Some of his supporters would say that uh, a lack of a public transparent doctrine, that his unpredictability keeps potential foes on guard.
1: I think that unpredictability uh, can be a tactic uh, that is effective. However, it's only... An effective tactic if it's a part of a strategy. And I don't think uh, right now anyone believes uh, that that is the case. And so if he has a strategy for how we're going to denuclearize North Korea, I I think, you know, the American people and the international community would welcome that. But if, you know, he is just kind of shooting from the hip here and doesn't appreciate, you know, two, three, four moves down the board, uh, what could happen, then that's a pretty scary uh, proposition.
0: Just four years ago, you were pretty much an unknown congressional newbie from the suburbs. Now, just four years later, you're a driving force in a congressional investigation into the president of the United States and possible connections with Russia. You're on cable news most every day. And I I hope you don't take this question wrong. I know you're no fan of Donald Trump. But is it possible that Donald Trump has been good for your career? (laughs) You know, I just want our country...
1: Uh, to continue to extend as much opportunity to as many people as possible, to be safe and have friends in the world and meet and address our threats. You know, honestly, maybe 10, 15 years from now, you step back and think about how all of this affected what I was doing. But I just have approached this like I've approached everything, which is do what's right and find others uh, to help you do it. And, you know, we'll see. I, I will tell you that uh, with the baby do in May, uh, I overheard my wife uh, the other day, uh, FaceTiming with her mom, saying, Mom, it's just been so hard for him to be, away, to be away as much as he is and involved in this investigation as much as he is. And her mom said to her, she said, Honey, when you guys got pregnant, no one expected that your child would be born into a Donald Trump administration. It's been hard on all of us. And that's the truth, is it? it's actually just, it's taken up a lot of time. And, but it's important, and it's work, I think, worth doing.
0: But, but you will at least acknowledge that uh, your name ID has kind of skyrocketed because of all of this. I, I, the work, I think, right
1: now that I've been involved in uh, is important uh, for my constituents uh, for, uh, that I'm doing with my colleagues in the Intelligence Committee for the country. And, I mean, I sure, did, I think the more people see me because I'm being asked about these questions, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't deny that.
0: But I can't think about that either. As we speak— You're on break. You're a newlywed, as you mentioned. Your wife is pregnant. You got married only a few months ago. One might think that you'd be taking something of a breather this week. Theoretically, it's a week off, but you've been reaching out to millennials in Georgia, Florida, Indiana. And as we're talking today, you're in an East Bay Union Hall where you're leading a phone bank for a candidate back in Georgia. You're hosting town halls as well. It seems like a pretty ambitious agenda. For time off, with a pregnant wife. Yeah, when I ran in in 2012, I promised to bring new energy
1: and new ideas uh, to Congress. And I also, you know, knew at the time, I was 31 years old when I got elected, that our generation, the millennial generation was, you know, becoming the largest, most diverse, best educated generation, but had a lot of challenges. And so I've actually, the work I enjoy the most is is not this investigation. It's being the chair of this group called Future Form. So we have 26 of the youngest members Uh, in the House uh, Democratic Caucus. And we've gone now to 40 cities uh, to just reach out to and listen to uh, young people. And so that's a responsibility that, you know, I I really care about is making sure that our generation has economic opportunity, is able to be able to buy a home, not fall into the quicksand of student loan debt.
0: So that's taken me on the road uh, a lot. Future Forum. Does it say something about millennials that Democrats feel that it's necessary to have a future forum? You know, specifically reaching out to them.
1: Yeah, you know whose idea was was uh, Nancy Pelosi. She came to me back in 2015, and she said, "Eric, uh, there's so many of you young members now that I really hope you get a group together and go across the country, listen to your peers, and then report back uh, to your more senior members about what we can do uh, to help them." And so, uh, I think it just shows that our generation is growing, and that more and more of us uh, are in. Uh, Congress, and that people want to also see in Congress the development
0: of new leaders. Since you're on the road so much, and since you're on cable news networks so much, so frequently, some people might think that you have your eyes on higher office already. Any truth to that? I have my eyes on
1: just making sure that we go into 2020 in a much better uh, position than we are uh, right now. Uh, You know, I, I think... The country right now is anxious about economic stability. That people are concerned about the threats posed uh, abroad, and I think they're looking to Congress to see, you know, who are the leaders that are going to step up uh, in this angst uh, and in this uh, despair and uh, try and lead us forward. And so I want to be on the team uh, that does that, and you know, we'll we'll see where that goes. But right now, I have an investigation to do. Uh, And, you know, a generation, I think, is counting on me and my future forum colleagues uh, to speak for them.
0: So I've got to ask the question, if Senator Feinstein were to decide not to run in 2018, would you consider running for her seat? You know, I I hope she runs. I think she's a a terrific uh,
1: senator. She's been a mentor uh, to me, uh, especially on issues of intelligence, uh, because she's been a leader there. Uh, And, I mean, you know, of course, I, I think it's something that you have to consider Uh, if it happens. Uh, But she's a leader. And I think the state uh, has benefited tremendously uh, with her in the leadership positions that she's had.
0: Again, so summarizing, you're hoping she runs, you're hoping she stays, you're hoping she gets reelected. But if not, obviously, it is something you would consider. Of course. Yes, of course. What kind of feedback have you been getting from your constituents here in your home district uh, to so much of your time being devoted to the Intelligence Committee? Do they have other issues that they would prefer you be spending your time on? Traffic and housing, those are the
1: ones I hear about uh, the most. Those, I think, are the two most important issues to my constituents is uh, housing and and traffic right now.
0: Obviously, the Bay Area is a very liberal bubble, but your district is a bit more moderate than San Francisco, Oakland, and Berkeley. And I'm wondering, are you getting any feedback that you're spending too much time on the Trump-Russia stuff? and not enough time on the core issues that you just talked about?
1: When I took on uh, the the role of staying on the investigation, I feared that this would not be something that would be too politically popular, and I'd have to spend a lot of time just explaining and, and defending why so much time is devoted to the investigation. But I was really surprised, Randy, to see the number of people who have said, only focus on this, or Keep focusing on this, and and that's on my Facebook feed, my Twitter feed, uh, the emails that I receive. It's almost when I tweet or Facebook post about something that is not Russia-related to see so many constituents say, you're off topic, stay focused on Russia. And I I think where that comes from is people really do feel like our country was attacked, that we are not responding in the way that we would normally respond uh, when attacked, and that, as, as I said earlier, if we do nothing, that we will lose what we value most, which is our free and fair elections. So you haven't gotten any blowback at all? No, I, I was expecting more. Uh, I really was expecting more. And I, I think people just understand that you know, this is bedrock uh, principle uh, of who we are. And it's worth defending.
0: When you're back in Washington, what, what do you tell your colleagues about the district you represent, Castro Valley, Hayward, Dublin?
1: I think we have not just one of the most diverse districts in the country, but I think the spirit here is a spirit of possibility. People in our area, they are driven by what's possible. You know, Some people work in biotech, and they're working to cure cancer, to you know cure a disease uh, that so many people are ailing from, that people are working in Silicon Valley uh, on technologies that we haven't even heard of but could probably change our lives in the next couple years. People are working on advancements, uh, and transportation so that we move around in more energy-efficient ways. And so this is just kind of an area of possibility. And, and that's what excites me about people who come here. I think a lot of that comes from us being so diverse and the immigrant culture that we have here, that when you uh, leave your country, and a lot of people in our district left India, left Pakistan, left uh, China, Korea, Vietnam, In other parts, to come here, you leave your livelihood behind, you leave your family behind, uh, and you're taking a big risk uh, for yourself, and you're very likely, if you were successful in getting here, that whatever you work on uh, in your career, that you're going to take a risk and uh, hopefully be successful too. So I think you see a lot of that uh, play out. So it's just an area of what could be possible.
0: So when you're in D.C., what do you miss the most about your district? Johnny's Donuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I haven't uh, tried Johnny's Donuts. Two maple bars. I, I really, sh- I really should cut it down to one. But uh, yeah, whenever I'm home on the weekends, uh, yeah, I, I'll go to Johnny's Donuts, uh, and uh, but I've been doing that for five years on the weekends. Johnny's Donuts in the morning.
0: Congressman Swallow, thanks so much for joining us. Yep. Yeah, my pleasure. Andy. You can subscribe to This Golden State on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and find us on San Francisco Magazine's website as well. If you like us, spread the word. Any comments or ideas, shoot me an email to Shandabel at Shandabel.com. That's S-H-A-N-D-O-B-I-L. Thanks for listening.